Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars. But it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's been a good day. It's been a great day. Yeah. I, I mean, actually, not really great, but it's been not a bad day. Not a bad day. And I think that's kind of how we're measuring stuff now in quarantine. I guess so. We're yeah. a little bit out of quarantine. You went to work today. I did. I did. I, I was among people that I don't live in the same home with, and that was weird. It was also weird because it felt normal to wear a mask, and it felt not normal to see people not wearing masks. Yeah, the world has changed a lot in the last three months. But you know what hasn't changed and will always be awesome? Star Wars? Thank the good Lord, yes. So that's what we're going to talk about, because we all need things that bring us a sense of reassurance and stability. And despite the fact that there was so much instability in the galaxy far, far away, we are taking peace and salvation from it. Great. Or disturbing. Possibly. I mean, yeah. As we said before, there's, there's not a lot of great news out of the galaxy, but, you know, when things go well for the Rebels and when things go well for the Ashla, which is the light side of the Force, um, it's pretty great. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, where we left off, uh, we finished talking about Season 1 of Rebels last week, and and now we're going to take you guys through Season 2. And this season, I think, is really a a series of episodes that does a few different things. Um, We introduce new characters, and we develop existing characters. And then we learn that our friends that were previously just like a random group of... uh, petty criminals, you know, with the hearts of gold, you know, a.k.a. Robin Hoods, uh, we, they're actually now committed to the rebellion. So that, that's pretty much what we have. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple other overarching things around, you know, the growing power of, of Ezra and Kanan, the, you know, continued struggle against the Emperor's Inquisitors and the like. And then I think there's a, there's a, a plot thread of them as they're solidifying their... Um, place in the rebellion finding themselves a base and finding a place to operate from uh, rather than just operating from ships in space right and i think that kind of goes into like the overall theme of the fact that you know they're a family they keep reaffirming the fact that they are family they don't have the same like blood or anything like that but their family is what brings them together and what does a family need a family needs a home and and that's why that search for a rebel base is is part of their quest to become closer knit as a family too yeah absolutely and on that sort of family theme we also in this season we actually run into the the sort of biological family of a few of these characters um with mixed results all right so let's get into it and and talk about some of the characters that we meet in season two we we talked about how we're meeting these new characters but really we're just bringing them from other places we know them in Star Wars land and bringing them into Rebels. Yeah, it's actually interesting that other than, I think, the two Inquisitors, I don't know that there are really any brand new characters that we've never met before uh, in this season. Um, We, you know, there may be a couple of clones that we run into, but really no one knew. Right. So let's start it off with Ahsoka. Where do we find her? So at the end of last season, that was sort of the big reveal is that Ahsoka was Fulcrum. And now Ahsoka has basically joined the, um, you know, the the Phoenix team. And so she is still an ex-Jedi. She is, um, you know, an, an integral part of the rebellion. She and Bale know each other. Um, and she kind of appears and disappears through missions and, and she has sort of her own overarching mission 
through the season, but she helps out when she can and gives wisdom and guidance to Kanan and Ezra. Right. And I think part of what we wind up learning about her own personal mission is that she wants to know what happened to her master, what what happened to Anakin Skywalker. So when she kind of disappears, every time she does, we see like a little glimmer of a clue that she gets that makes her think and run off and go investigate. And it gives just enough information to our Phoenix Squadron friends that they can continue along their mission too. Um, we've got Darth Vader, who we, we see at the very beginning. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, Vader appears sort of in the in the two part pilot episode of the season or the the first episode of the season, and um, pretty handily defeats the Phoenix team, the Rebel Cell, uh, Kanan and Ezra together. And then for some reason, inexplicably at the end of the episode is uh, just decides, yeah, there are still rebels here, but I'm going to send a couple inquisitors to take care of them and Admiral Constantine and Agent Callus, And you guys got this. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he totally sends in the B team when he could have easily eliminated two Jedi right there. But, you know, that would have ended all of our fun. So (laughs) I I think, you know, that that just ultimately points out that you can't bring the big bad guy in too soon. You got to wait till the very last level and use your final like one up to beat the bad guy. Yeah, it feels like a rare kind of stumble by uh, Filoni and company that um, that they, they may have introduced Vader a little bit too early. Right. Um, but who do we meet after that uh, beginning series premiere we, or season premiere? We, we've got um, an old friend. Yeah. So um, in the quest to find a rebel base and other allies, Ahsoka sends the team to um, an old friend of hers. And it turns out to be none other than Rex, uh, the clone commander that she fought with for so many years in the Clone War. He is still around and is uh, living with a couple other clones, all of whom had their chips removed um, and so are no longer under the influence of Order 66 on some random planet, doesn't matter. Um, And they ultimately, uh, one of the clones betrays the rebels to the Empire and then they decide all to uh, join together as rebels and fight the Empire. and so Rex and I think it's Gregor and Wolf, uh, they only appear a couple more times, but Rex becomes an integral part of the team. And he and Kanan naturally don't trust each other. Well, he wants to trust Kanan. Kanan does not trust him because Kanan knows what the clones did in Order 66. And he said, you know, he had a choice and he chose to have his chip removed. But um, he and Kanan have a, a lot of friction for a while, both in that Kanan doesn't really trust him and then they have different interpretations on how they should um, be teaching Ezra. Uh, you know, Rex thinks that Ezra needs more discipline. Kanan thinks that he needs more Jedi training and they kind of can, they, they battle it out a little bit over, uh, how Ezra should be raised, if you will. Right. And that's a theme that you and I've talked about quite a bit is who gets to be the master to Ezra's apprentice. And that's just something that we see with character after character after character. And the default is supposed to be Kanan Jarrus. And we talked about it when we talked about Maul. You know, Maul sees Ezra and is like, you're going to be my apprentice. Then Rex is like, well, here's a, a young quote unquote Padawan that I need to train as to how to be a soldier because that's how he knew the Jedi. And then uh, we get reintroduced to my favorite buddy Hondo. And Hondo's like, this little guy Ezra, he could be my sidekick. We'd be awesome pirates together. There's always someone else looking out to potentially take Ezra for their own to claim for him. And he's so hungry for family and attachment that 
he believes every single one of them and every single one of them frustrates him to no end. Yeah, but he ends up being this kind of weird hybrid of like Hondo's sort of self-serving dishonesty and Rex's discipline and Kanan's use of the force. And even, you know, and, and as we did talk about during the, our, our Maul episode, he, you know, even takes some attributes of Maul and, you know, some of his sort of power hungry and dark, a little bit of his dark side, you know, usage. Um and adds that to him. So Ezra is actually a, a pretty ends up being a pretty complicated character when it's all said and done. Um, we also start to see him reveal his sort of force specialty, which is influence over animals in this season. Right. And there's a really cool episode, uh, probably about halfway through the season, where there are these, uh, I guess they're flying space whales. Yeah, that's a that's as good a description as any. Yeah, they're, they're purgles. They kind of remind me of an episode of star trek the next generation as well but that that's a, a a different galaxy far far away you know just because you see a big flying animal in space doesn't necessarily mean it's an enemy now we've learned you know from watching uh you know the movies usually big animals mean big problems but in this instance you know ezra's connection to the force and connection to the animals that are connected through the force helps him understand what their intention is. He may not be able to translate word for word, you know, giant flying space whale language, but he knows the meaning behind it. And we see that with the loathe cats. We see it uh, later on with some wolves as well. But uh, that that's a really cool introduction to just understanding the expanse of Ezra's power. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I guess who else do we meet? We meet, uh, we meet Hera's father, so Hera's father is Cham Syndulla, who was part of a uh, anti-separatist cell on Ryloth during the Clone Wars. And we actually, you know, he worked with Anakin and Obi-Wan and Rex and the team. And the, you know, the Twi'leks are now under the influence of the Empire and he continues to rebel against the Empire and they sort of cross paths a little bit. Right. He had a falling out with his daughter at some point. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, they reconcile. And what's really interesting and just kind of bothers me a lot, actually, is that everyone uh, has a French accent, but Hera does not have a French accent. But then when she has a one-on-one -on -one discussion with her dad, she immediately goes into having this French accent. And it's like, where did that come from? Are you supposed to be speaking your native language and not speaking basic right now? And if so, why is your native language basic but with a French accent? It's very confusing. I don't understand why they did it. And it's really inconsistent because she doesn't do it later on. Yeah. Yeah. My only explanation for that is just like sometimes people like kind of go go to their, you know, to their home accent when they're around home. and then. They have a more moderate accent when they're not, but this was pretty extreme. Yeah, and she only drops that accent when it's just her and her dad talking one-on-one. -on -one. Later on, when she's speaking to her dad in front of other folks, and before she goes into that accent in front of her dad, but there are other people there, she talks like a regular Hera. Yeah, that's pretty weird. Yeah, but, you know, the most important part of the episode is that she does reconcile, you know, that sense of family is, you know, reestablished and, you know, just that running theme of what we're used to seeing with a focus of maintaining and creating family that that happens. Uh, we also meet uh, someone that uh, we're going to see again in what, about four years? Who's that? Princess Leia. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Leia shows up for one uh one key episode and it's her appearance is really interesting. She's assigned by her father to um bring some supply ships to Lothal and then allow them to be stolen. Um, right. We've always wondered how does the rebellion keep getting all of these incredible supplies because there's just not enough of them. They can't have this big planet of factories. So, how do they get these things? This is how they get these things. That's right. And so they're Alderinian. They they come into the to Lothal as Alderinian relief aid to starving people on Lothal. And apparently Leia's been running a scam where she brings relief aid to places and then her ships get stolen. And so the Imperials on Lothal try really, really hard to make sure that her ships don't get stolen because they suspect that maybe she's doing it on purpose. And she does a really good job of playing everything off, thinks on her feet, as Leia often does. And, um, you know, the, the rebel team end up stealing the ships anyway. And she she plays it up so that the the Empire really, really believe that she had nothing to do with it and that in spite of their best efforts and her best efforts and everybody's best efforts, these ships got stolen anyway. And so, you know, she's able to uh, to leave Lothal, go home and and fight another day. But the episode contains and, and this is something you pointed out on a previous episode is interesting parallels between her and Ezra in that they they're exactly the same age to the day. Right, because they actually have this interlude where they speak to each other about how tough it is to take so much on when they're so young. And Leia's like, yeah, I know what you mean. And, you know, Ezra's complaining about how hard his life is. And his life's been really, really hard. So he's totally entitled to be complaining about it. And then the fact that Leia says, yeah, I get that. I I totally hear you. I know what you mean. And then she takes it up to like, three million levels above what Ezra's been doing and the amount that she has weighing on her shoulders in comparison I I think really kind of helps put it in perspective to Ezra that he needs to stop being a whiny little you know what and and get back into the game yeah because you know he and he and Kanan are kind of questioning whether or not they should really be part of this whole big rebellion thing and I think this episode really locks it in at least for Ezra that um yeah this is a cause worth fighting for Right. So you mentioned we meet two new Inquisitors as well because Vader can't be the big bad this whole season. Uh, One's a female, one's a big burly guy, uh, kind of, I don't know, it, it doesn't really matter, but they seem to be competitive with each other. So that brings an interesting dynamic because the bad guys aren't working together. Once again, we see a power uh, fight within the bad guy ranks and that makes it easier for our good guys to always find a way to escape. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I forgot what their, their, their designations are. It's like the seventh sister and the fifth brother or something, but this is where like the inquisitors. So in the, in the first season, there's just one inquisitor and he's just called the inquisitor in this season. They actually call him the grand inquisitor in one scene. Um, he's dead, right. But he died in the last season, but, and it, at some point they, we find out that they're called like the seventh, seventh sister and the fifth brother or something like that, but they don't really have names and and uh, there is actually a third Inquisitor in the in the final episode in Twilight of the Apprentice. Um, so we actually see three Inquisitors. Um, I don't think any of them survived the season. I, I don't think so. I don't think we see Inquisitors after that at all. No, I don't think so. Certainly not these three. Yeah. And if there are more, we can assume that there are other Jedi across the galaxy 
and those inquisitors are working on that yeah one of them i think one of them is as high as like the ninth brother so we can assume that there are at least nine um and we've seen three plus the grand inquisitor but i don't know that that necessarily means anything to to rebel Right. And then there are a couple of people that we've met before or that we hadn't really met, but we talked about. So Ezra's parents, we finally meet him or, or meet them. And, and we find out that when Ezra gave that impassioned plea on Lethal for the people of Lethal to stand up to the Empire, that inspired his parents who were imprisoned by the Empire. And they were deciding that they needed to fight even harder, even though they were imprisoned. And Ultimately, they, you know, helped light more spark to the the rebellion, but they they couldn't save themselves. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about this is a couple things. You know, in the in the first season, Ezra seems to believe that his parents are dead and then he gets some hope. I think it's in this season or maybe in season one from a from a uh, Rodian named Sibo who um, escapes um, the Imperials with a bunch of information, including the fact that they're alive and in prison. It's and this so, season. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so Ezra has, has lived for a long time thinking his parents are dead. He now thinks they're alive. And then he finds out that they, in fact, died after hearing his message and, and host um, uh, starting a prison break. And this, like, he is overwhelmed by the fact that his parents were inspired by him and then he also gets very angry that they are now dead um and that anger starts to come out in a few uh fights that he has where he starts to lean a little bit into the dark side um and uses his anger and his pain over the loss of his parents um as like a catalyst to win some battles um in in a in a sort of a theme of walking that tightrope between light and dark that follows him through the rest of the show yeah, like how when Anakin lost his mom and then slaughtered an entire village. Yeah, to be fair, he does not actually slaughter an entire village. He basically just uses it to kill a bunch of stormtroopers while he's trying to escape them trying to kill him. So I guess slightly less bad use of the dark side. But not great. Not great. But not the worst. Certainly not genocidal. Right, right. No, he hasn't genocided an entire planet or anything like that. Um, but he is uh, going definitely down the path of the dark side. And what's interesting is his ability to come back from it. It's not as apparent as when we see Rey, what her abilities are to go there and then immediately come back. Uh, I think Ezra kind of festers in it a little bit. And then he always needs someone to help bring him back. Yeah, that's true. But by the end of this season, um, and we talked about this a little in the Maul episode, you know, he acquires a Sith holocron and is able to open it, um, which sort of makes clear that that he's more than just a little bit touching the, the dark side. Right. So uh, just to kind of wrap up a few more of the characters, we got a guy named Finn Rao. Yeah, so Finn Rao is a, a Mandalorian protector. So there's a Mandalorian colony called Conquered Dawn, and he is the protector of Conquered Dawn. Conquered Dawn is kind of where some, uh, what I would assume to be sort of the uh, the spiritual descendant of the, uh, oh, what are they called? The Death Watch, uh, sort of live on Conquered Dawn. They're sort of Mandalorian extremists. They're very warrior-like. They may be the predecessors of the way from the Mandalorian. Um, when the rebels approach them, they identify themselves and the protector and, you know, the other Mandalorians on Conquered Dawn, uh, 
say that they're loyal to the emperor empire and the emperor they are being bought off by the empire um and the rebels in a move that they don't use very often they actually capture Finn Rao and hold him prisoner in exchange for being able to safely pass through his territory and um i don't think it probably doesn't happen in this season but ultimately he becomes a reluctant um member of the rebellion Right. And I I think this is one of those things that we don't actually see a lot of development from Sabine Wren's character during this season, but we see kind of the setup for how important the Mandalorians are going to be in future seasons, and that's just going to set up her role as well. So, you know, I I think kind of bringing in Finn Rao, uh, Sabine has a few episodes where she does some really cool tactical things, just kind of reaffirming that she's, you know, just like this, uh, you know, wonder kid if you will about uh being able to figure out how to blow stuff up and being tactically sound but you know we we don't do a lot of development with her uh we'll talk about an episode where we finally get some character development and just i i think it it brings out some of the feels actually but we get to know a lot more about zeb um and and that that's a really great episode that that comes up in season two so uh anything else before we we break down a few of the storylines no, it's the only thing I'll say just on this whole kind of Mandalorian theme. It never really occurred to me before, but in this part of the sort of expanded canon, um, the Mandalorians are really front and center. I mean, and he, and it's funny because it all stems from the brief appearance of Boba Fett in um, Empire or in Empire Strikes Back, and then in Return of the Jedi. But he's not even a Mandalorian. He just wears their gear. That's right. Like, ultimately, we find out he's not really a Mandalorian, but this whole, like, kind of mythos around Mandalorians um, existed. And then as some of this content was produced, uh, the Mandalorians really took a center. I mean, they were pretty influential. They're pretty big in Clone Wars. They're now um, in seasons three and four of Rebels. They take up a lot of screen time. The Mandalorian has his own show. Um, and so the Mandalorians have really, uh, they've really taken the spotlight in the, as the Skywalker saga has sort of wound down, uh, the Mandalorian saga seems to be just firing up. And I, I think that's really cool because it brings us so much opportunity where we're not already having super high expectations of what we already thought the characters were supposed to be like, or, you know, what we wanted to have happen because we don't have these existing attachments to the characters. We get to bring in new new characters, new stories, and find new ways to be really engaged in their ways. Yeah, and the other, I mean, interesting thing, of course, is the Mandalorians are non, they're not really force wielders. And so this is sort of one of the, one of the first times that the the stage has been taken so strongly by non-force wielders in the, in the, in the universe. I've even heard a rumor that, um, that in the rumored Ahsoka Sabine um, live action or animated TV show that is coming sometime in maybe 2021, that um, uh, Grief Karga, who is the, or I'm sorry, not Grief Karga, um, uh, Moff Gideon from The Mandalorian may be uh, a key enemy in there and tie back to Sabine and the Darksaber and all this, bringing the Mandalorian story into yet another um sort of episodic show i also read that story before i forwarded it to you to read well okay yes (laughs) but for all of you guys listening to us i didn't forward it to you so now kevin's updated you (laughs) yeah yeah i read it somewhere yeah yeah no i i I gave it to you to read yeah so yeah this is what we do a little insight uh 
I'll read something or you'll read something and we'll message it to each other, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing so that we can read it in its entirety or if it means that we don't actually like talking to each other as much. Yeah, we talk about Star Wars right here. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Anyway, moving on. So we we talked about, we have the two episode season premiere where we, you know, we, we see Vader, we, we see Ahsoka again, and, and then we kind of get to this place where Ahsoka needs to, you know, go off and do her own thing. And she tells our friends that they, they got to go meet an old friend of hers. We bring in Rex and the clones. Um, a few other episodes kind of ensue. I, I wouldn't say it's plot filler. It's just their constant quest for a base. And every time they're, they're thwarted, um, you know, we see the Empire, we see Agent Callus, we, we see some of the petty fighting between the Imperials, and, and we see them always just chasing our Phoenix Squadron. And, and then I, I think kind of the next fun episode we have is with Hondo. Yeah, and so the, the Hondo episode is funny because it sort of starts out with Hondo um, stole a ship from Vizago who was the crime boss we met in season one that the, that the, uh, at the time the Spectre squad worked for. And then um, it turns out that he also imprisoned Visago on his own ship and like Visago escapes. And then, and, and Ezra comes to the aid of what he thinks is Visago and meets Hondo and they become kind of buddies. And- What's funny is Ezra is scared to share his real name with, Hondo, so he introduces himself as Lando Calrissian, which obviously Hondo's heard of Lando Calrissian. Like you know, thieves know other thieves. That's right, and he makes and he makes fun of it in that like he's like, oh, I thought uh, Lando, I thought you were older, and blah blah blah, and whatever, and it's like it's good fun from uh, from Hondo, but he ends up, um, yeah, so so Hondo and Ezra ends up helping Hondo, um you know, kind of escape from the empire. And then as Ezra escapes, then Hondo gets captured by the empire and then he helps the empire find the rebels. And, and it's, it's a really great, it's just a really great Hondo episode in that in this episode, Hondo is friends with and betrays literally everybody that he runs into. Like he was friends with Visago, then he betrayed him. Then he becomes friends with Ezra, then he betrays him. And then he becomes friends with the Empire, and then he betrays them. And the only person that he doesn't betray is himself, which is very, very Hondo. Totally Hondo. And, you know, I I think it's a running theme because we saw in Clone Wars, and we'll see again in Rebels, is that they keep needing Hondo. He keeps showing up. And every time people reach out to him, it's because they need something. And he knows it. He's not stupid. He surrounds himself with stupid people, but he's not stupid. And he knows that anytime someone needs something from him, then he is going to get what he needs. And he doesn't always get, you know, riches, which he's always talking about. He doesn't always get them, but he always gets his freedom. And I I think that that is a very interesting way that he chooses to live through all of this. All right. So, you know, then we have that kind of cool sequence with the Pergils. We talked about, um, Ezra's meeting his parents in that legacy episode I I think that is or he doesn't meet him but he really learns about them and who does he meet in addition to uh, the story of his parents so they yeah so he sees a lot of force visions and has dreams about his parents but the person that he actually meets is uh, a man named Ryder Azadi Uh, Ryder is the former governor of Lothal 
Um, he was imprisoned ostensibly for treason against the Empire because he refused to let the Empire take over Lothal without, you know, I guess, imprisoning him for treason. Um, and at the time, he was imprisoned with um, Ezra's parents. And during the breakout that they orchestrated, he escaped. They didn't. And so he was the one left on Lothal to, like, kind of tell Ezra um, what happened to his parents. And he said at first that he didn't want to get involved. And then he ends up accidentally getting involved during the uh, Princess Leia episode and decides by the end of that that he's going to actively help the rebellion on Lothal. Like at first he's kind of, I don't want to go back to prison, whatever, whatever. And then by the end of it, he says, yeah, this is kind of important. I'm going to help the rebellion here on Lothal. Right. And, you know, I I don't blame him for not wanting to go back to prison. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that Ezra and Kanan and the rest of our rebel friends, they've inspired him. And he, he realizes that he knows too much and he's been through too much to give up now. And he's got to keep fighting. And I think that that's one of those things that we see throughout a lot of the different episodes and the battles. And then I think Rogue One just like totally encapsulates this is that if you've come too far, you, you can't give up. You got to keep going. Yeah, that's right. Um, so then we get to what I think is, with the exception of the mall episodes, perhaps my favorite sequence in all of season two. And we have this episode with Zeb and Agent Callus called The Honorable Ones. And this is, I mean, we were trying to describe what kind of being Zeb was. And he's just like this purple strong guy. Um... And I think this episode, again, if we're going to make another Star Trek reference, he's very Klingon. He's totally Worf. He is, except he has a little bit more. He shows a little bit more emotion. But other than that, yeah, he's, yeah, Klingon would be the closest description I would have for him. Um, And, you know, prior to this episode, in one of the, I think it's an earlier episode in the season, we find out that, you know, the Lasat people were sort of mostly... um, killed off by the empire and their planet was destroyed. And there's an episode earlier in the season where we meet a couple of other Lasats and they ultimately find like a secret new home world for them to like rebuild their people. And we find out during that sequence that agent Callus was involved. He was a soldier in the, in the Imperial military. Yeah. When he's in the army on the side that genocides the people, and then Zeb finds out about it. Uh, Zeb's not going to be a friend to Callus here. That's right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, we find out that Callus was involved in that action. And he even at the time he takes credit for it. And he tells Zeb that like he like led the attack on on Lasat and, and um, what's their planet called? Lasan. Lasan. Right. Um, and so he and he and Zeb are kind of now in, in a bit of a blood feud. Right. So they they definitely hate each other and they're going at it. And there's a battle that opens up this episode. And, you know, we've got our rebel friends that are supposed to escape and Zeb can't get to the ship to escape with his friends. And he's like, don't worry, I'll get into an escape pod and I will meet you. What planet are they supposed to go to? Geonosis? They're, they're over Geonosis. Right. Because they're sort of investigating like what happened um, just as an aside. Um, all of the bugs on Geonosis are dead, and this is sort of the first time we find out about it. We get into more of that in season three. Right, right. So, you know, we we see our, our friends saying, okay, we'll meet up with you later on, and Zeb gets into an escape pod, but 
he's fighting with Agent Callus, and Callus is like, "Oh no, you're you're not going without me." And so they decide they're basically going to fight to the death in the skate pod, which is stupid because nobody puts on their seatbelts, and then they crash land onto this moon, and Agent Callus breaks his leg, or he should have broken his leg, but he does do a surprising amount of moving. Yeah, but his leg is broken for sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so the two of them are stranded. They don't know how they're going to escape. There are these big dragon dinosaur type things there. Yeah, I mean, it's your, it's your sort of standard, it's your standard stranded, you know, episode, right? You've got two enemies. They've crashed. They're alone. Their radio only kind of works. They're on a freezing planet. So they're like, they're racing between like, are they going to die of, of um, exposure or are they going to get eaten by monsters? And they have to climb out of a cave in order to get the transponder to a place. And then they wonder whose team is going to find them. Right. And so they have to go through all of those challenges while also, you know, wanting to kill each other. Right. And very quickly we learn that they're willing to trust each other. And that, to me, I think it just speaks volumes because we hadn't gotten to know Zeb before. And we had only gotten to, to know Agent Callus as being a total jerk face. And so to see him show some emotion and some compassion, and the two of them are still very apprehensive of each other for darn sure. There are a number of instances where the one thinks the other is going to shoot him. And every time they, they shoot the monster instead, which is really good. Um, and so finally the, you know, the, the truth comes out and they learn that there's some honor between each other. Yeah, that's right. So Callus sort of reveals that he did, he was uncomfortable with what happened on, on Lasan and that he, you know, while he did have some like one squad that he worked with was wiped out by a um, Lasat mercenary. He did not feel like genocide was the right answer. And he's been fighting with a traditional Lasat weapon. And, you know, Zeb was kind of angry at him for taking a trophy. And he said, no, I was given this when I defeated, you know, one of the honor guard in, in combat. And Zeb was, he, he uses some, you know, word in his language. And he said, wow, like, this is actually like a real thing. Like you're, maybe you do have some honor. And so, you know, and then, um, Callus starts to come to realize that maybe Zeb isn't just you know, maybe maybe he's not on the on the wrong side of this and that he starts to think about whether or not the Empire is doing the right thing. And so by the end of it, you know, they end up falling asleep. They, they snuggle. They're like holding this warm um, heating pack, basically. And they, they fall asleep uh, and wake up to find out that our, our rebel friends and the ghosts have come for him. Yeah. And so, um, and first of all, that heating pack is like some meteorite they found, and I'm pretty sure it's just radioactive and that they're both going to die of cancer in five years, but you know, that's off, that's off the scope of the show. Um, but, uh, the rebels find them first, uh, Callus stays sort of hidden in the shadows. Zeb goes back with the rebels and does not reveal to them that Callus is still there. Like they could have captured him. They could have whatever, but he agrees to leave him there to be found by the empire, which he evidently is. Um, and they kind of both go their separate ways. And what's interesting is that when Callus is found by the Empire and he's walking through his ship, he he sees another, he sees an admiral, and, and basically the guy's like a real jerk to him, real stiff, and it makes this this expression appear on Callus's face, in which he, he realizes that he takes a moment and goes, there's no compassion in what we're doing. 
we can be warriors and we can be fighters, but we should still maybe have some emotion. And I think that's what he learned from Zeb. And that is something that, you know, will take us into seasons three and four. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a, a pretty huge revelation for him. And, and a, it's going to end up being a big shift in, uh, in a bunch of things. Right. And, and then, you know, before we kind of finish up the season with the whole mall thing, we, we got to figure out why we're going to go to mall and see him on uh, Malachor. Yeah. And so the, there's an episode that, that opens with Kanan and Ezra once again fighting the Inquisitors and they and Ezra, uh, Kanan uh, decides they need to figure out how to defeat these guys um, rather than just keep running from them. And so they go to Ahsoka and they all talk about going back to Lothal and visiting the Jedi Temple there. And because they had seen um, Master Yoda there once before and they think maybe they can talk to him again. And so they go to the they go to the Jedi Temple and they open it up. And um, first of all, it's it's interesting that Ezra offers Ahsoka and Kanan the opportunity to open it. And Ahsoka says, I'm still not a Jedi and so uh, she declines to participate in that, but she does go into the temple. Um, and all three of them meditate, and each of them have a very different experience in the temple. Right. And I, I think it's really interesting that the same temple Ahsoka tells them is going to be different every time. And she's like, you have a different problem, so you're going to have a different type of temple this time. And, and they do have a, a little bit different experience in the temple. So... Ezra does indeed talk to Master Yoda, and he has a really interesting conversation. Um, and it's something that I almost wish had been in like Empire Strikes Back. It has a very Empire Strikes Back Yoda feel to it, right? He's sitting on a log on Dagobah, um, presumably. I assume that's where he is. Presumably. And, yeah. And he talks a lot about the war and how the war affected him. And he says something like to Ezra, and I don't remember the exact quote, but he basically says, the war started and the Jedi were really quick to get involved and we our fear and our anger. And then the war came and they jumped into it and hate of the Sith led them to use the dark side. And Ezra says, wait, you were afraid. And, uh, and Yoda says, yeah, fear conquering or preventing fear from turning into anger is a lifelong journey. And then he kind of waxes a lot about how, maybe fighting the war was never the right thing to do. And Ezra gets very aggressive and says, wait, are we not supposed to fight? I choose to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And Yoda's kind of like, oh. Because Ezra wants to win. And Yoda says, you can't really win a war. Yeah. And, he, and Yoda specifically, he says that how the Jedi choose to win is more important than what winning is. Um, and so you definitely see this Yoda who is very war-weary and very aware that fighting is not and it's it's very in alignment with the empire strikes back yoda where he says wars not make one great and you know all the stuff he says to luke about excitement and adventure are not what the jedi should crave um you kind of see the beginning of that in this episode where he basically says that he basically i mean what he really basically says is that the jedi should not have gotten involved in the clone war and that that was really what led to their downfall because it was the jedi order using the dark side uh to try to bring whatever it was that they were trying to do to the galaxy and he doesn't even know what they were trying to accomplish see i think i must have misheard that episode because the way that i interpreted what yoda was saying is that he was talking about the war from a thousand years ago when thousands of jedi fought thousands of sith and that they the jedi were 
on the wrong side and the Sith were on the wrong side. And that, you know, that they didn't learn anything from that war and then they were doomed to repeat themselves and make the same mistakes in the second war. It's just there were fewer Jedi to do so. Yeah, I, I, so we may have to watch this again because I, I heard it as him sort of talking about his own experience in the Clone War and the thousand that I heard was a thousand Jedi. Interesting. No, I, I, I mean, maybe we hear what we want to hear, but I, like, I felt like Yoda was saying that there was a story from a thousand years ago when he was just, you know, a little baby Yoda himself <laughs> to when he was a warrior fighting in the Clone Wars as well. And, and you know, that the mistakes that he he made and the Jedi made in the Clone Wars are the same mistake that they made a thousand years ago and that you need to put an end to trying to win the war because that's just not going to work. Well, yeah, whichever one of those it is, um, the point is the same. Yoda really is advocating for peace and Ezra is not having any of it. So that is true. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we definitely got the same takeaway for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, we heard different stories, got, different ta- got the same takeaway. Got the same takeaway. Um, the sort of second part of this episode is Kanan Jarrus' experience. Kanan... Um, walks through a doorway in the temple and finds himself in a uh, training room with a Jedi temple guard who accuses him of being unable to protect his Padawan from falling to the dark side and basically tells um, Kanan that to move aside that he's going to go out into the temple and kill Ezra before he can become um, an asset of the dark side. And Kanan, of course, lights his lightsaber and fights this Jedi temple guard. And he reaches and grabs another lightsaber. Yes. And he happens to grab a red lightsaber, um, which is a really, it's a very cool effect. So the Jedi temple guard is fighting with um, uh, yet a uh, yellow uh, force pike as is standard for the Jedi uh, temple guards. And then Kanan is fighting with his blue lightsaber and a red lightsaber talking about whether or not Ezra is going to fall to the dark side. And, Ultimately, more temple guards appear and he continues to fight and he continues to say that he can he can help Ezra. And then in the end, he admits that Ezra is going to follow whatever path Ezra is going to follow and he can only do is what he can do to guide him. And with that, the temple guard um, knights him uh, a full knight of the Jedi Order. Right. And I think that there's a nice really cool parallel here because you know the idea again we still need to figure out what Yoda actually said but we know the meaning of what he said is that it's not about winning the battle it's not about winning the war it's about how you get there and how you understand it and the fact that Kanan understands it's not about continuing to fight with the lightsabers but to understand with with his mind and that's why he's able to move forward from there he gets the blessing of the um you know, temple guardian and is able to escape the temple and and go to Ezra and Ahsoka. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the uh, temple guard is he does take off his helmet and it turns out he has the face of the grand inquisitor, which leads us to find out that the grand inquisitor was actually the, um, was formerly a temple guard who was corrupted, which is really interesting. Um, And then the third thing that happens in the temple is Ahsoka. She meditates and she starts to hear Anakin's voice asking why she abandoned him, why she abandoned the Jedi Order, why she betrayed him. And 
she's, you know, no, no, I didn't leave you. I had to go. And then she sees a vision of Darth Vader. And this starts to sort of round out her suspicion that Vader and Anakin are the same person, which she, of course, confirms in the uh, Twilight of the Apprentice episodes. Um, and she kind of turns around and slashes at him with a lightsaber and, and there's nothing there. Right. And there's one problem I have with that, though. So is that we saw in season seven of the Clone Wars, which, you know, arguably hadn't been made yet uh, when this episode of Rebels was made. But we see that Ahsoka starts having concerns and serious worries that something bad's happened to Anakin, that he's gone dark. Um, And she feels that ripple through the force, as does Maul. And so now we're... We've got a 15-year-old Ezra. So 15 years later, she hasn't put two and two all the way together? Really? I I think it was more that she didn't want to believe that. Okay. Yeah. Because remember, in that same season seven, she was so adamant. Like, she believed so strongly that Anakin could not follow the dark side that she refused to help Maul defeat Sidious. Right? Like, she believed so strongly in Anakin that she could not... She... She did not want to believe that. And it really wasn't until the beginning of this season where she has a little bit of an encounter with Vader and he kind of touches her mind and she starts to, you know, she realizes who it really is um, that she's ever really given it a thought. I think she just assumed that Anakin died with everyone else. The only Jedi she doesn't even know at this point, she doesn't know that Yoda and Obi-Wan really survived. Right. She has no knowledge of those things. Right. So it's easy for her to assume that Anakin just died and that Vader is another mysterious Sith who rose. And it wasn't until this time that she even had any idea that that he was part of this. Right. Because when she encounters Vader in the beginning of the season, he's like the apprentice and he recognizes that that his former apprentice and and it's really interesting that vader kind of disassociates himself from being anakin skywalker as well um that he kind of speaks of anakin's apprentice as if it's a different story that doesn't really apply to him well and we even saw that in the original trilogy movies right when luke first reveals you know like vader reveals that he was that he was luke's father but then later when luke says i accept the truth that you're anakin skywalker he says that name no longer has any meaning to me so this isn't like an unprecedented denial of his previous existence um that that vader and i and i think because he's still a very like he is consumed by the dark side but he's still a reluctant sith right and he still does have some good in him and I think that, like, kind of psychologically, he has to do that to prevent himself from being too conflicted. Agreed. Yeah, no, you're right. He's the reluctant Sith. He's not really that power hungry. Yeah, he's not, right? I mean, he got into this, right? He, he got into being a Darksider and a Sith Lord for two reasons. One, he did not like the conflict in the galaxy and he wanted to bring peace. And as we saw through the whole prequel trilogy, he felt like the way that the Senate was going about it and the way that people were debating and not taking action, and the way the Jedi Council was not taking action, that everybody was not taking action, was leading to strife in the galaxy. So he wanted to bring order to the galaxy, and he wanted to save Padme. Ironically, failed on the second count. Feels like he can still do the first count. Doesn't really want to use the dark side to do it, but he feels like he has no choice, especially once he pledges himself to Sidious, 
like he can't not use the dark side and survive. And so he sort of sacrifices himself to bring order to the galaxy. Now he brings order, order in brutal and terrible, terrible ways. And so I'm not really justifying what he's done. But in his mind, he feels like he's still the hero of that story. For sure, for sure. It, and if you're the villain in your own story, then you've got a lot of problems that you really need to sort out. So the fact that he still probably thinks that he's doing the right thing is why he continues doing what he's doing. That's right. So anyway, while everybody is having their experiences in the temple, the um, Inquisitors somehow once again catch up to them and they break into the temple and, um, you know, Yoda notices and, and sends Ezra away. The um, Jedi Temple guard tells Kanan that the enemy is there and says, we'll, we'll delay the enemy and you can escape. And so a whole bunch of temple guards sort of appear around the Inquisitors and surround them and do something to them to allow everybody else to escape. And, the, and what's interesting is the Inquisitors recognize the Grand Inquisitor among them, right? And then they kind of get zapped by the Force. And then what last we see of the temple is Vader um, walking into the temple and saying that his master will appreciate it. And we don't see that temple again until season four, where it plays a, a pretty prominent role. Right. So, you know, I, I think season two just introduces so much and sets up so much. And, you know, we finish with Maul and we finish with the uh, blinding of Kanan Jarrus and, you know, just this kind of big pivotal moment that when we get to the beginning of season three, we're going to see Ezra having grown up much quicker than he should have. And we're going to learn, you know, how Kanan learns to truly see and we're going to see a lot of character development of all of our friends that we've already talked about this episode. Yeah. And don't forget at the end of the at the final um, end of the uh, episode, uh, Ahsoka is either dead or in a cave, but she is out of the game for a while. Right. Our, our friends and her, they get separated. Yeah. So that, that's it for Ahsoka. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we talk about relationships and we talk about, you know, love and, and that kind of thing. And I think that the we've talked about how the theme in Rebels is really about family. There's not any development in, you know, your standard marital type relationship or, or boyfriend, girlfriend or, or whatever you want to call it. We don't see really hardly any development along those lines in any of the episodes. Yeah, not really. I mean, we see family ties for sure. We see, you know, um, Ezra and Kanan's relationship grow and change. But yeah, no like kind of romantic relationships. Um, you know, season one almost sets up the notion that there might be something between Ezra and Sabine. And if anything, this goes the other way. And there's definitely not. Right. The, like there's no, no attraction there. At that, no, like, no. And what's really interesting is that it kind of comes back, but in a weird way later on, but not really. And so, you know, it, this whole relationship aspect that we try to find in Star Wars, we find just a family relationship in all of this. And I, I think that just that understanding that, you know, everyone's got a story to tell and how your connection to them will change your life is what we see in every sequence. I, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it in the future, but the interaction between Zeb and Agent Callus, you know, that I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that family there too. Yep, that's right. So what else is there? Um, I think that's about it for season two. So I think um, 
Next week, we'll talk about season three. Um, there's a lot more that happens in that um, before we get to season four of, of Rebels and the, and the conclusion of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's all for season two. All right. Well, I love you. I know. <laughs>